and welcome to episode 202 of the Redbox Report, the weekly movie podcast where we review the latest Blu-rays and DVD releases for Redbox. I'm your host, Bob Phelan. I'm your co-host, Joel Phelan. And we are back to review a movie called Jackie, as you would know from the title of the episode. And we're going to take a look at our top five Natalie Portman movies, as well as what else we've watched and... A lot of pretty big trailers that have come out since the last time we recorded. It's been a while yeah, for us. Some, I mean, solid trailers. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> and it's uh, like I was saying, it's been a while since we've actually recorded an episode together. We recorded 200 the same night we recorded episode 199, and then you missed out on the video game podcast last week. Yeah, sorry about that. That was very last minute. It was very weird for me. It's the first time we hadn't. Or a uh, regular Redbox episode without you since episode 109. Oh, yeah. Forgot all about that. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, we we reviewed Assassin's Creed, did our top five open world games, talked about a bunch of stuff we've been playing. Like some Legend of Zelda your brother Dave was talking about and had my potentially future brother-in-law, Chris, talk about uh, Horizon Zero Dawn and Brooks's uh, friend Don came on as well. Yeah, it was a bunch of people who had never podcasted before, so definitely could feel the jitters in the air, but we got through it. We had a pretty good time, so check that out if you're interested. Uh, Did you have a viewpoint on the Assassin's Creed movie? Um, that it wasn't that good. Yeah, that's pretty, it was one of the shortest reviews we've had, because actually me and Brooks were the only ones that watched it, and uh, yeah, neither of us were too fond of it. There's not a ton to say. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Assassin's Creed as a whole is like a pretty cool concept that has never really delivered story-wise, even in like video games. So it doesn't surprise me too much that it didn't transfer. I just thought it might have been a cool enough action movie that it would make up for it. Yeah, that's what I was hoping too. I mean, it had its scenes, don't get me wrong, but... Yeah, like I said, I mean, listen to that episode... For my full thoughts, but basically, anytime it was set in the medieval time period and there was some action, it was pretty good. But those were few and far between. Yeah, it, that's pretty much sounds like the games. <laughs> yeah, for the most part. Um, I do. I like one kind of two the Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed Two is a pretty solid game. That's in the uh, Italian Renaissance, and uh. Is that the one with Black Ezio? Flag is oh, what Black it's called. Flag. Assassin's Creed Black Flag is by far my favorite. It's the pirate one. Nice. Pretty much, there's a couple points where it goes to modern times, but it's more to just show off the graphics because that's when the new systems are just coming out. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that one always looked the coolest to me, just from like trailers and gameplay footage. Yeah, if you ever see that on set, I'm sure as cheap as could be now. Right. Uh, pick that It's a fun... I mean, it's not incredible, don't get me wrong, but it's fun, for sure. Yeah. and like I was, It looks great to this day, actually. Awesome. And like I was telling you before we started, I just bought uh, The Last of Us Remastered on sale for like 6 or $7. So if I can get that for that cheap, I'm sure I can find Assassin's uh, Creed Black Flag for pretty cheap, too. So look forward to my take on that in a month or two. But uh, how about open world games? Did you have... weird? We were going to count down the top five. Did you have any particular favorites? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a... I mean, open world isn't even really a genre anymore. It's pretty much just games. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much just games these days. It's more of like a mechanic or whatever, a way of storytelling. Right, right. Um, I've always been a big fan of the Deus Ex games, which, even though some of their... It's kind of limited open world, but it's still open world nonetheless. Kind of lets you solve things on your own for the most part. Um, the Elder Scrolls series, especially Morrowind, is probably like top three favorite game of all time. Nice. Yeah, I think that got mentioned by me, actually. Yeah, Morrowind was... I mean, it sounds like one of those things where it's like, oh, the older one's always better or whatever, but... Morrowind was just like, it let you do whatever you wanted. It didn't... I never once completed the main storyline. <laughs> and you played mm-hmm. for like hundreds of hours. Yeah, like, I just had so much fun with it. It was smartly made. But, I mean, I understand why they went the route they did. Yeah, So yeah. titles. For sure. So, cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I could go on about it more games. GTA, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that can't not be mentioned. I it think, pretty much... I think that got... It didn't a, invent it, but it pretty much perfected open world. And catapulted it because of the sales numbers that it got, so everyone wants to hop on that bandwagon, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that got plenty of mention in the in the top five. GTA Five apparently, was the holy grail of that series. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, in ways. I mean, it's not my favorite, but it's probably the best made. Okay, that makes sense. And they got plenty. They've had plenty of time to perfect it. Yeah, <laughs> the story ultimately wasn't. My issue with GTA now is it's becoming like slightly more realistic. So I would like to see the missions be realistic, but then you can sprinkle in some of the zany stuff. They've pretty much just gone full out, like crazy mode, right? In the story mode, and it kind of. <laughs> I just didn't really care. Yeah, I hear that. All right, well, I just also wanted to give a shout-out to my MMA podcast that I do with your brother, Brooks. Um, Of course, we did a regular episode recapping UFC 210 from Buffalo last month, but we also just released um, a special bonus episode this week uh, with the premiere of the Ultimate Fighter reality show coming out this week. We did a little fun... Uh, tournament style thing kind of like the March Movie Madness that we did except we each drafted eight fighters that had competed on that show and ran the tournament through to see who was the best fighter to ever come out of the reality show competition Hmm. so I thought it turned out pretty good so check that out if if you're so inclined and one last thing before we get into Jackie speaking of March Movie Madness we did that contest the prediction contest where we said the winner will get to pick a movie for us to review on the show and we actually well we first of all we forgot to mention the winners on that episode but i had uh reached out to the two people that tied for first place brandon fitzpatrick and deekson from the coming soon boards so congratulations to the two of you uh job well done must say so it was very unpredictable unpredictable tournament this year 
And uh, they each got they each picked a movie for us to review that we will definitely do the next time there's uh, an open date on the schedule where there's not like this big movie for us to to review. And the drum roll for the movies that they had picked: Mean Girls. Brendan Fitzpatrick picked because he could not believe that you had not seen this movie. Well, we'll change that. <laughs> we will change that in the next month. And also, Solaris, the 2001 remake that I believe George Clooney is a part of. I don't know if he directed it or just has uh, starred in it, but I've never seen it, and I've heard some pretty good things about it, so looking forward yeah. to that as well. So thanks, Deekson and Brendan, for those uh, recommendations, and stay tuned for our thoughts. Also, actually, one other thing real quick. Got to keep mentioning we have a new podcast feed just in case people uh, haven't switched over yet, I updated the feed through iTunes. But if you were subscribed before, uh, eventually that's going to run out in another week or two. Uh, switched from Podbean to Fireside. I'm pretty happy with it. They allow us to do more with it. And uh, yeah, just unsubscribe and resubscribe through iTunes. Or I will have a link to the new RSS feed in the show notes. So let's finally get to Pablo Lorraine's Jackie, starring Natalie Portman, uh, Andrew Garfield, no please, wrong movie movie notes, Uh, spoiler alert for an upcoming episode, Uh, Peter Sarsgaard, John Hurt, Greta Gerwig, and Billy Crudup. So yeah, basically, this movie was a biopic following the assassination Holy shit. Uh, Assassination. Yeah, assassination. John F. Kennedy. First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy fights through grief and trauma to regain her faith, console her children, and define her husband's historic legacy. And, uh, yeah, so this was a movie that was getting some pretty good reviews. has 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Seemed like one that, even though it was getting great reviews and... Portman was nominated for Best Actress. It still was kind of under the radar. Um, yeah. I remember watching the trailer a while ago, and then it just sort of came and went. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people probably saw it, and it went in one eye and out the other, or ear. And uh, and then others, probably just like a cult following, loved it, at least from what I can uh, see. And... For the most yeah. part, it just got outshone by a pretty good crop of movies from last year, which we detailed. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, it came out December 2nd. It's kind of bad timing. Yeah, had to face up against La La Land, Moonlight, um, Manchester. By the Yeah, not to mention the bigger, like, actually Hollywood blockbuster types like Star Wars. So, unfortunate, but we're going to give it its due here. I mentioned it on an older podcast when I first saw it that I liked it. So I'm I'm more curious to hear what what you were expecting coming in and what you thought of it coming out. Um, well, I mean, I expected a good performance from Natalie Portman. Um, from the trailers that I saw, the cinematic style looked cool. There's a lot of um, close-ups. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, JFK is probably. I don't know if I have like a favorite president, but maybe the person I'm most interested in. Certainly a lot there. Being from like an Irish Catholic family. I mean, he's pretty big. My uh, 
my cousin Sean and my uncle Sean, their middle name is Kennedy. Because little he was shout born, out, man. Yes, a little after uh, he got assassinated. Cool. But uh, uh, I look, or I didn't love the movie, but I really liked the movie. Yeah, yeah. Again, we're on the same page. I keep waiting for us to be at diametric <laughs> opposition here, but uh, yeah, we haven't been a horror movie in a while. Yeah, actually, true. the last one we did, I kind of liked. That's true. Sure. Don't breathe. Probably, yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to Get Out. That's probably be the next horror movie review. But um, yeah, I uh, I liked it quite a bit. Borderline loved it, but not quite. Um, think there's just a lot to like about it the performance off top is just makes the movie it's incredible i feel like she should have won best actress over emma stone but i can yeah. understand why they picked emma stone she's like the new it girl in a way and she's good too in la la land as we will find out in our next episode next week but yeah i mean powerhouse performance up there, maybe even better than her performance in Black Swan. I don't know. I'd have to rewatch it, but man, just incredible. The, the voice she got it down. Yeah. yeah, like I had heard actually some uh, criticisms of her voice uh, before the before seeing the movie, but after the movie, like I was, this is one of the rare times when after watching a biopic, I actually like Googled videos of the person of Jackie Kennedy just to see like. The White House tour that she did, and kind of some freaky. of her interviews. Yeah, it's in, it's insane. It's spot. Their on. eyes are slightly different, but they look like pretty spot on. They look a lot similar, and the voice. I mean, the what, voice. Yeah, that's. I could see how people could maybe think she's overacting, but that's her voice. That is her voice. Like I guess that's just the affectation she was putting on, or that she just had. I guess um, at that time, yeah, it was very interesting. It it's one of the much like Snowden, which I mean, not a comparable movie, but where JGL's voice at first you're like thrown back, like whoa, that's the voice coming out of his face. But then, yeah. as it goes on, it it really uh, syncs up with the character and works very well. Yeah, holy crap, was he exactly like Snowden? Yeah, but it's so weird because it's not even close to his regular voice. And same here. But, yeah. yeah, I would say Pablo Lorraine directed the hell out of this movie. Uh, some great cinematography and an incredible score. And very yeah. weird score. Uh, um, the person who scored the movie was Michael Levy, who also did uh, this, the Scarlett Johansson movie that I just looked up before we started and can't remember, um, Under the Skin, which is <clears throat> where she's an alien who takes the form of a beautiful woman to seduce men to take their blah, 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 blah. It had a species? <laughs> kind of, sort of. <laughs> Much more <laughs> art house version. Um, but yeah, so this had a, actually a pretty similar score to that, and it worked incredibly well because uh, Jackie Kennedy almost is an alien creature, the way she's so disconnected from everybody else, it feels like. Yeah. It, was, it fit the movie perfectly. Strong-willed person. <laughs> Yeah, and with the situation going on, I could see how she could almost be having like an out-of-body experience, having to deal with all this stuff and deal with the loss of her husband. Yeah, it's almost like surreal to her. Yeah. But at the same time, she's trying to be strong. Yeah, exactly. And uh, 
the iconic po- uh, pink uh, suit that she wears. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I liked how the assassination itself, like that is obviously the, a big draw for someone that would want to see this movie is to get some behind the scenes or see how they're going to depict it. And I really liked the way it was handled where you see bits and pieces as the movie's going on and then eventually you kind of see exactly how it went down, at least from her vantage point or at least the viewer's yeah. vantage point. This whole topic is so easy to get into, like, a conspiracy theory, like, storytelling-wise. I'm glad they kind of – they shared enough, but they didn't – Yeah. Give, they just sort of assumed you knew, I guess. I mean, Oliver Stone did, like, three and a half hours, you know, on JFK in that movie of the conspiracy theory and all that. Oh, yeah. So I yeah. like that this was more just a personal character study. And everything from her perspective. But what did you think of the um, framing device where it's her being interviewed by Billy Crudup's character? And she's almost like a different person in those scenes compared to the rest of the movie. But what did you think? I thought it was interestingly done. They kind of, he kind of did it a little bit different than, because while she's, telling this reporter or whatever these stories she's also having flashbacks in the moment of the stories right for the most part i mean like they keep going back to like the white house tour which i believe she was the first person to do that for television Mm -hmm. and uh i like how it's not exactly chronological the whole time but it mostly is I don't know. It was. I, I thought it was a strong point in the movie for the most part. Yeah, I, I actually thought it was one of my least favorite parts of the movie, but it is still very interesting the way. Yeah, I guess I thought I gave it a little leeway for. I thought it was a bit of refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it was important to the to making the movie what it was, but those scenes itself were not my favorite. Like, I, I like that it shows. Like, I feel like this movie is a lot of just about power. (laughs) When you have it, when you lose it, dealing with all of that. Like, she's the first lady of the United States of America. So, plenty of power there. Boom. Husband shot in the head. Power pretty much immediately just usurped from her. Yeah. And having to deal with that. And then, I feel like this is her last uh, vestige of that power when she's talking to this reporter. Because... She's like really just telling him how it is, what you're going to put in here, what you're not. And I feel like that's her clinging to that power that she had. So I feel like yeah, that's it's sort of like the last thing she had. Yeah. So I, I like how almost in a way all over the place Natalie Portman is with her emotions. Yeah. Because even though the movie's favorable, I think, for Jackie, like it doesn't portray her to be a bad person or anything like that. There are times where she's being strong-willed, but she's also being, like, kind of spoiled and entitled at the same time. True, yeah. I mean, there are parts where that are a little bit more important than others, but you can kind of see sometimes when she, the way she talks to people or bosses them around, she kind of has this, like, entitlement being from, you know, the Kennedys were rich. Yes, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and also, like, 
this movie is clearly about grief as well. Grief and guilt over everything. I mean, any unfinished, like, relationship that's just taken from you like that, you're going to have that. And grief is not one size fits all, and it's not always a steady uh, stream on, like, a diagram where you go from the five stages. You know, it's all, all around, and that also shows, like, yeah, at times she's playing the crying uh, widow, and the other times she's, like, lashing out angrily. Yeah, and then she's the one sometimes taking charge of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like the scene on the airplane, like, the same day when, uh, I guess it's LBJ gets sworn in yeah. on the plane. Like, that was a great scene. And that's a, a scene where you saw, like, that she realized that the power is pretty much, like, gone right away. And and she, I just, like, her facial expressions, you can read it. Everything that she's thinking, pretty much. It's such a, again, great performance by Natalie Portman as she comes to grips with everything. Yeah, and that I like that scene for a lot of reasons. Like her saying, we're going to leave out the regular door and I'm going to wear the same dress and show them what they yeah. did. Yeah, this is like, and again, I hate to keep going back to the same point a lot, but for the power thing where she's going to put together the funeral the way she wants it. Like, this is the last thing she can do in this position, in this... Like, they try to take it from her and do what they want to do with it, but she says, no, just, I'm going to do it my way, and here's how it's going to be. It's going to be the biggest thing ever. It's going to be like, the king has died. And uh, really, I didn't know that that's how his funeral was and how big it was, and that it was I the just, first time. My main memory from this is when his son died, JFK Jr., and the, his plane like depressurized, crashed in the ocean. And there's like a real famous shot of him saluting his dad as he goes by. It's the only reason I knew there was a procession. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean that was massive. That was that was crazy thing she put together there. And yeah. And how about her saying the like the diplomats like I'll, I'll walk if you want to ride an armored car or tank. You can go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, sticking the jab in there. But, uh, yeah, and one, I think my favorite scene in the movie, though, is when she's walking and talking, having, like, a little mini confession to the, uh, priest, played by John Hurt, who unfortunately has passed away since filming the movie. Uh, ah, great loss. Yeah, I mean, that guy is a great actor, and he showed it again in this scene where, it's like the only time in the movie where she gets completely real and just talks about what she didn't like about her husband and why she feels guilty and it just gets completely real. And it might be a little bit on the nose and and just like saying what she had been showing to that point. But I feel like it was important to just have her be vulnerable in that moment. Yeah, little peek behind the curtain almost in her psyche. Yeah, because she's putting on a different public face everywhere she goes that this was like the real Jacqueline Kennedy right there. I guess she felt like she could completely open up. And uh, yeah, I think that's another thing about the movie is like the public face that you, that a relationship has. Not doesn't have to be the president of the United States, but it's like whenever my wife says to me like, oh, man, look at them. They always seem like they have the best relationship, the best marriage. And it's like, well, 
yeah, that's what they're presenting to us and everyone else. But you never know what's going on. Yeah, I'm sure they fight. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's got to put the brave face on and try to look their best. Especially Jacqueline Kennedy. I mean. Oh, yeah. And it's obviously to another level when you reach <laughs> yeah. their sites, for sure. Like, she actually says it in the movie where they kind of insinuate that, you know, JFK sort of openly cheated on her. She was like, who am I to complain? And right. Living right. this rich family and the first lady of the United States are going to have it a lot worse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I really like how they didn't portray her as kind of this dainty, for like like broad, I guess they would say back then. Mm-hmm. Like, she kind of has that public image. She was like a sex symbol back then. Like, I remember seeing a speech. I think it's actually when they land in Dallas, JFK's talking about when they were in Germany, he felt more like he was following around his wife than the other way around. Like people were way more interested to see her. But, um, I like how they showed that she was knowledgeable in history. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, I did like that. The funeral around Lincoln's funeral as well. But I, I think she really probably set the mold for the modern woman, even though maybe some of those concepts are a bit dated at this point, but certainly for the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I just mean, like, I don't know. It's like, I think probably Michelle Obama probably studied what she did. Right, yeah. And then she kind of does her own spin and sets the example for uh, going forward. Yeah, it's just sort of how a woman can take charge. Mm -hmm. It was probably pretty new at the time, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much else to say. I think it's a great little biopic, uh, character study. Enjoyed it quite a bit. And actually, after this conversation, I think I'm going to bump it up a half star in my rating. <laughs> nice. I'm going to go uh, eight and a half out of ten. I'm uh, on eight. Yeah, that's where I was. It was a heavy eight, but I think uh, it deserves a little bump. It, it's not yeah, much... I can see me uh, watching this movie again and liking it more. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, it has a little... Weird intricacies that, uh, yeah, I mean, be easier to digest a second time, yeah, for sure. Sort of how I view things anyway, but yeah, I mean, because even the the negatives that I did have coming in, talking it out, seemed like, yeah, they were important to the movie, even if they didn't light the light my hair on fire at the time. (laughs) (laughs) But I like how you can do that. Like, I just watched this whole review about Alien 3 and how the one guy really didn't like the movie and then he was talking to his friend about how the movie got made and all that stuff. Yeah, David Fincher. After hearing the whole story of everything, he appreciated the movie so much more that he gave it a higher score. Yeah, it's that's why we do this. It's all, you have your own perspective in your head, you say things out loud, you hear other people's opinions out loud, and boom, there you go. But yeah, let's get to Natalie Portman herself, her top five movies that we feel in our hearts. Uh, as an actress, what do you think about her? Obviously, she kind of came into prominence with the Star Wars prequels, but has gone on to do other things. Um, she pretty much always delivers for me. I mean, she hasn't always been the best movies, I guess, but I think she's a great actress. I mean, besides Star Wars. I mean, I do like Star Wars, but I think that, like, my favorite one, acting's terrible. 
<laughs> yeah. And it's not her fault, even. It's like no, no, that it's script in the direction. Only a direction yeah. thing. Script, probably, too. But, well, I'll kick it off with Star Wars. <laughs> All right. <laughs> On that note, just a prequel in general. As a whole, but uh, I'd like the third one the most. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say the third one, I have revisited it in uh, the last couple of years, and it's. Didn't hold up as well as I thought it was, but it's still the best of the prequels, in my opinion. And then the second one, the Attack of the Clones, was by far my least favorite. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I was going to say, the Phantom Menace isn't quite as bad as I remembered it being. Like nope. They actually had a lot going for them. They just really messed it up. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at it from like a kid's movie perspective, it's not too bad at all. I mean, spoiler alert, but killing Darth Maul was maybe ahead of its time, like in the Game of Thrones era, but Fair, yeah. the fact that they kept one of the most annoying characters ever created through all the movies, I guess. <laughs> yeah, George R. Binks. Although, if you ever watched that uh, theory on him, he's it would have been cool if they did that. Yeah, he's the 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 Sith, the OG <laughs> Sith, or... Yeah, yeah, like, or something like, like that. Darth Sidious or something yeah, like that. Yeah. How dare you for spoiling that, but I guess we can move on. <laughs> My number five is actually Jackie. Nice, it's uh, on my list. All right, cool. What's your number four? Jackie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have to wait long. Uh, my number four is a movie called Brothers, which... Came out in the late 2000s. It's got Tobey Maguire and Jake Gyllenhaal as, you guessed it, brothers. Who uh, Tobey Maguire uh, goes out to his fourth like trip in Afghanistan for the war. And is presumed dead after some kind of incident. So Natalie Portman is his wife, uh, potentially widowed. And Jake Gyllenhaal is there to like comfort her and help her get through these tough times. And they kind of start to build a relationship themselves. And then... What do you know? Tobey Maguire's back in town. And it's kind of the drama from there. But it, I actually think it's an underrated, pulpy, you know, fun little thriller that uh, you just don't go in expecting, like, Citizen Kane, but it's a good time. Good performances. Jake Hall is obviously my guy. I've talked about it quite a bit. <laughs> but but uh, Natalie Portman's great as the wife. From what I can remember, it's been a little bit, but yeah, fun little movie that if you haven't seen and it's on FX or or whatever, HBO, check it out. Yeah. Alright, well, my number three is Black Swan. Nice. Brilliant movie. Yeah. Um, love it, Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. Brilliant director for a brilliant movie. Is that all you got? That's all you got. <laughs> all right. I'll talk more about it shortly. I figured it was on your list. I yeah, thought yeah. you could describe it a little better. Than me. <laughs> I'll see. Don't put the pressure on me. But uh, <laughs> My number three is V for Vendetta. The, not, I almost said Coen Brothers, but um, the Wachowski siblings uh, yeah. movie. This is my number two. So. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, Natalie Portman plays a, well, I guess it's kind of like a, fascist future where uh, there's a secret police have taken Natalie Portman prisoner and V who is a, like a 
vigilante, vigilante, uh, rescues her and takes her with him to kind of lead a rebellion against the the fascists and the, based off a graphic novel, comic book yeah. thing and uh, another surprisingly good movie. Like, yeah, I, this movie has no business being as good as it is actually. Yeah. I never read. I remember when it came out too. It wasn't like so long after nine eleven, or at least it was controversial enough. Because it's sort of about committing terrorism. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's got yeah. good themes and Wachowski. Yeah, it sort of plays off the uh, the story of Guy Fox who tried to blow up Parliament because he said the building wasn't more important than people or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the gunpowder treason plot. Didn't happen, obviously, because Parliament's still there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, Wachowski's good directors. They can make they make the most out of uh, any story, except for Jupiter Ascending. But hopefully, they'll bounce back from that. I think it's my uh, second favorite. I guess you could say comic book movie. Nice, yeah, that's pretty good. Se- uh, or maybe it's second or third. Sin City and Watchmen. Yeah, Others. yeah, those are good too. Uh, all right, my since that was your number two, my number two is Leon the Professional. <laughs> this is my number one. Okay, yeah, I didn't. You just talk about it not too long ago, actually. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I watched it. Actually, not that recently. I, I, within the year, though. Right. Yeah, I remember you talking about it on an episode, at least. And... I think it was about a year ago now. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It yeah. was like when it was first getting warm. I remember. Outside, or whatever. <laughs> so I was still working at my old job. I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. Fond memory. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a classic for a reason. It's really, really good. Uh, mid to late 90s. Natalie Portman's just a young, like, preteen girl, I guess. And Leon is a hitman or assassin who is in town for a job. And I think the building he's staying at uh, one of his neighbors, or not neighbor, but like apartment mates, uh, a crazy person came in, killed uh, Natalie Portman's mom and dad, left her an orphan, and he kind of takes over a, a dad role or father figure type thing. And it's kind of her, she wants revenge and he wants to keep her out of it, but he's still got a job to do. And Gary Oldman is, is great as the villain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a really fun, uh, one of the best 90s probably action movies. Yeah, like period. Uh, yeah, this movie has a little bit of everything. It's got a lot of comedy. I like the uncomfortableness Leon has, like, with kind of like getting affection from her. Yeah. And how she's almost a little bit more grown up than him in a way. Yeah, for sure. But, uh,. Yeah, I can't believe this is basically her first movie. Yeah, it's, one of them. She's incredible. And there's like a lot of moments that it just wouldn't happen anymore, like her smoking. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Yawning but, over here. But yeah, I love this movie. Bore me to tears now. Uh, yeah, it's a great movie. My number one is Black Swan. Take it away. Had to. Had to do it. One of my... I think it was my favorite movie of 2010. I believe that was the year. Definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. At least top 30 or so. 
right. Well, the reason I couldn't describe it well is I watched this movie in like three chunks. <laughs> like, way when it first came out. Or, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but enough that I'm foggy. Yeah, I mean, it's probably my favorite Darren Aronofsky movie, which is saying a lot because all of his movies are great. Even Noah. That is still a very good movie. What about the, what's the one, like the Tree of Life or something? Oh, The Founder. Not yeah. The Founder, The Fountain. I heard, oh yeah, The Fountain. I, I mean, I've heard it's like kind of cool, but not a great movie. Oh yeah, I hated it at the time. I haven't rewatched it since, but. I yeah. think that was like his first big movie. Probably, probably, big probably budget, big yeah. Hugh Jackman, no, yeah, don't get me started. Let's go back to Black Swan. Uh, <laughs> the story of a girl who uh, gets the lead in a, what is it, a ballet? Yeah. Uh, Black Swan ballet where she's going to play uh, the titular character, and it's like a huge break in her career. She's been working hard forever. Um, her mother was a ballet dancer and she's following in her footsteps but her mother's completely controlling so she gets the part and she's training really hard and it kind of is messing with her mind kind of turns into a psychological thriller slash horror movie towards the end or at least at a certain point and uh, Mila Kunis is in it as another dancer and there's some twists and turns there I don't it's been a while but I don't want to give too much away in case people haven't seen it because it's a movie that I feel like it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, one of the scariest movies of 2010 as well, from what I remember. Even though it's not really a horror movie, but it certainly has elements. Uh, yeah, the cinematography, the acting from Portman and Kunis. She yeah, won. that was a good matchup. Yeah, oh. really, really good. Uh, yeah, and Portman won uh, the Oscar for Best Actress for this, and deservingly so. I think it got snubbed for Best Picture, but that's another story. Great movie. Great, what, great movie. One Best Picture that year. 2010, I want to say... I feel like that was the same year as The Social Network, but The Social Network didn't win either. Uh, my mouse battery must have died. It's not working, so I can't look it up. But Oh, hold on. <laughs> Maybe The King's Speech? That's my guess. That's my guess. Inglorious Bastards. No, <laughs> I know that didn't win best best picture. That was my guess. I, it, it's only showing the nominees. Uh, do oh do 2011 oh, wait, Oscars? Wait, wait, wait. 2011 Oscars for the 2010 movies. Oh, uh, okay. So, damn. Let's see. That's got to be. It's got to be the King's Speech. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, that was pretty good. Social Network, True Grit, yeah, The Fighter. Awesome year. X-Wan, Inception, Toy Story 3, The King's Speech. Very, very solid list of movies right there. Plus a couple other, 127 hours. Of, I've never seen it. But. It's really good. It is. It's very good. Uh, maybe that's the top five we could do Oscar season next year. Best Oscar years. Or best, you know, best picture nominees as a whole. The kids are all right. What the hell is this? It's actually a really good movie. Uh, really? Is that the same year, too? Yeah. Damn. Um... Yeah, that's a good movie. Uh, it's got the guy that plays the hawk now, Mark Ruffalo. And, uh, yeah, it's about a lesbian couple who I think they need Mark Ruffalo for something or other. I don't know. It's It was good. 
The last nominee is Winter's Boon. Another awesome, awesome movie. I love it. Wow. That might be the best crop of Best Picture nominees of all time. I have to investigate further. But all right. Any honorable mentions? Um, what's that one? Uh, this isn't the best movie, but I remember kind of, wait, no, never mind. <laughs> okay. I take, I take it away. I was going to say No Strings Attached, but the movie I was really thinking of is the Mila Kunis one with. Yeah. Friends with Benefits. Yes. Yeah. They came out around the same time, actually same year and very similar premises. I do think that Friends with Benefits was a better movie. Yeah. Neither one was great, but... No, no. I, Friends with Benefits was at least fun enough to be, like, watchable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my honorable mentions are two movies where she didn't have a big role, but she was in them, so they would have made a top five if she actually was in the movie. Uh, Zoolander, she played a cameo as, oh, yeah, as Natalie yeah. Portman. Uh, hilarious movie. Uh, also, Heat, she was, like, very young. For heat, did not know she was in the movie till looking at the letterbox page. Oh. But I think she played someone's daughter. She had like one scene where she couldn't find her beret, her beret to put in her hair or something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh, heat, obviously, classic. For sure. But uh, all right, let's talk about what else we watch. I don't think we have much here. Yeah, I think you're pretty much taking it away here. <laughs> all right. I will recount my mid-90s Disney animated feature marathon that I had on Monday with with my daughter. We, she didn't have school. It was spring break, and Hulu had a bunch of mid-90s Disney animated movies that uh, one that I had never seen and a couple that I'd only seen in passing, maybe even only bits and pieces of, because I feel like mid-90s is when I kind of was too cool for the Disney animated stuff, so kind of didn't pay attention as much back then. Yeah. And now I'm back, baby, with a vengeance. But uh, <laughs> the first one we watched was Mulan. This is one I definitely had never seen. I haven't seen this either. And it's... it's I, I know they're making a live-action remake that's set to release next year. And I've heard people saying how good it is. And, yeah, I'd never heard anything really bad about it. And I thought it was cool that it's more action-oriented. Like, it's about a girl who her father gets requested or they have a... I guess it's kind of similar to us with the draft. Like, he's has to go do his duty and fight for uh, the... I don't want to get anything wrong. So just, like, the army. His yeah. people's army. And she kind of sees that he's feeble and old and he's not going to survive if he does and... She takes his place secretly, rides off in the night to take his place, pretend she's a boy. She gets in with the the little troop of uh, soldiers and builds bonds with them. And it's like, oh, she's got to avoid letting them know she's a girl. But she's also got to go through this tough thing where she's fighting with swords and all this stuff. And she also has like a dragon friend. And of course, you know, Disney animated cuddly creature type things. But yeah, it was really good. It was surprisingly good. Especially because a lot of these movies I feel like I hold up in high esteem and appreciate them because I saw them when I was young and it's nostalgia yeah. a little bit. But even with the first time watch at 30 years old, 
Mulan, eight out of ten. Wow. I mean, yeah, I've never heard anything bad about it, but I haven't seen it. And Mackenzie loved it. My daughter really, oh, sure. really enjoyed it, and she was pretending to be Mulan and fight me after we were finished watching it. So I had to quickly put on the next movie to get self defense. <laughs> uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame was up next, which I think I've seen this, but yeah, I'm pretty. I remembered the gargoyles, like the. Um, the statues that came to life, I guess. But yeah, I've definitely seen this. I, I just can't really remember anything. Mm-hmm. This is the story. Obviously, this was a book or a novel. Is that yeah, true? yeah. I know the story better than I know the. Yeah, the it's like a disfigured baby who gets um, taken in by a rich old mean guy for nefarious reasons, like to use just to his advantage. He's basically keeping him as a slave. Uh, in his mansion, and he find like event one day he sneaks out to a fair, and there's this gypsy woman who uh, he kind of falls in love with, and he starts to realize like there's more to the world than what he's been trapped into, and you know the story. Yeah. But um, this was really I remember watching this over my next door neighbor's house as a kid, and not really digging it too much. But man, this is a dark, dark story for an Dis- animated Disney movie. Wow. I mean, just think it like there's a scene where uh, Quasimodo is like, when he escapes and goes out to the fair, they finally discover him and what he looks like. And they kind of like tar and feather him and like tie him down in front of everyone, point and laugh. Like, it's pretty brutal. And then there's also like insinuations of rape. And all kinds of dark themes. Like I was. It's always really, crazy really when you go back and watch these movies and realize all the the references <laughs> and themes that were really there. Yeah, I definitely only remembered it as Quasimodo and the Gargoyle Show. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, but uh, it. I didn't love it. Uh, six out of ten. But I mean, none of these Disney movies are going to be terrible just because. I don't know, the animation is always good, and the, the music, and all yeah, that. Yeah, and a lot of Disney movies are based off fairy tales that are established anyway, so... Yeah, exactly. They're working with something. Um, Alright, next up was Hercules. Uh, and again, not my favorite. I mean, I don't really need to go into the plot too much. It's Yeah, I think this is towards the end of the when, time that I would give yeah. a shit about watching it. Yeah, it was Hercules and Tarzan. I didn't rewatch Tarzan, but I, I I remember seeing that one too. It came out around the same time. And yeah, I don't remember liking that too much. Yeah, Hercules, probably my least favorite of the bunch that I watched on Monday. Probably like a five and a half, six out of ten. But story of Hercules, and he's got his buddies, like this little devil kind of guy, and I I don't know. It just it was fine. It had its moments of cleverness. Uh, but wasn't really doing too much for me. And Mackenzie was getting bored by this point. Yeah. So I had to put on a more girly final feature, Pocahontas. Ooh. Which is pretty good. I mean, it's Pocahontas. You know the story. Yeah, this is what I'm really foggy on, but I think it's solid. It is. It's very, very solid. I can see why a young girl would like it. It's a really good story for that. Uh, 7 out of 10. Probably... Would have liked it. More. This is probably one of the ones where I would have liked it more 
if I remembered it better as a child. Yeah. But still pretty good. And that's all I have for movies. I've actually been on a video game and TV kick of late, so. Yeah, actually, I thought of one thing I watched. Yes, let's hear it. Um, Attack on Titan Season 2 started after a, like, I don't know, like three-year in-between of the first season, I think. It's like two and a half years, something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it's a pretty amazing anime. It's a bit different. Um, have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it, probably from you. Yeah. But um, I don't necessarily... You know, I don't have an image of it in my head or anything like that. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be sort of... It's one of those things that if I explained exactly what it was about, it'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah, a little convoluted. Yeah, when it's you just like, it like humanity that. is living behind walls and there are these things called titans on the other side that eat people. And I don't <laughs> yeah. know. It's, it's really cool. It's super intense. Yeah, anime is like, like that, right? It's like it's a little bit like DBZ, where sometimes there are like three episodes like go by, and it only you only get past really like one small scene really worth the stuff, right? But it's always just like extremely desperate, and um. So anyway, the the second season just started, and I mean it's all right so far. It's been a lot of like uh kind of summing up, like, I guess, refreshing people a bit, what's going on, and then the first, like, two episodes are more of, like, focusing on the side characters and sort of, like, what they were doing. At, they're Tarantinoing it a little bit, where there's something going on, but they keep flashing back and telling things a little bit out of order. And then the third episode gets a little bit more streamlined. Oh, okay. So, so I'm hopeful that It'll end up being pretty good, but so far it's okay. Yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, One of the only um, animes I've ever really enjoyed watching a sub. Hmm. And yeah, I was just thinking about what you're saying about like the premise of it, and like that's the thing with animes, right? If you actually describe the plot, it's like gibberish or it sounds insane, but when you watch it. It yeah, sense. it all—it's it, like a living, breathing world type thing. Yeah, yeah. And the art style, I'm sure, is cool. But like the whole thing, like the main character, he's one of the only people that think in the beginning that everyone's like grown comfortable living behind the walls, and the way he thinks is like, how are we any better than like a canary in a cage mm-hmm. if we don't try to like strive out? And then something happens where the wall breaks and. Basically, you just start figuring out that there's a whole lot more to what's going on, but you still don't really have any idea what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I um, oh, Like I said, I watched a lot of TV. Um, finished Big Little Lies, which I mentioned when I watched the first episode. Uh, it's been a few weeks now, but... The show's really good. It was on HBO. It was like a seven-episode miniseries run about a, rich, a little rich town where there's a murder that happens in the first episode. And you're kind of – the whole season, you're kind of trying to figure out who was murdered, who committed the murder, and why. And uh, 
that's actually like the least interesting part of the show. It's actually just like a great character based uh, show. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was trying to think of something else, but um, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Shailene Woodley, and Laura Dern all give powerhouse performances. Uh, Shailene Woodley, probably my least favorite of the bunch. And Nicole Kidman, probably the best of the bunch. Like, I didn't even know she could act this good. But uh, her storyline involved domestic violence and trying to get out of a abusive marriage. Um, Reese Witherspoon, she was awesome. She's playing a character who's divorced and in a new marriage and kind of like having to deal with uh the like raising a kids with you know divorced parentage and stuff like that and yeah. Laura Dern and Charlene Woodley kind of square off against each other because Charlene Woodley's son is accused of abusing Laura Dern's character's daughter at school in the first episode and it's kind of like he swears he didn't do it but she swears he did and it's kind of like a, a whole thing parents get involved but uh, it's about rich white people and their little, you know, insular problems, but it's really well done, really well acted, uh, pretty great. And it's only seven episodes, so if anyone was like waiting to see how it was before checking it out, definitely worth it. The only bad thing I'd say is the the kind of the the device that the director uses, who also directed Wild and. Um, God damn it. My mind is a blank tonight. Uh, the Matthew McConaughey AIDS movie. Oh, Dallas Fires Club. Yeah, he directed that. He directed the show. He does this thing where, like, throughout the first, especially the first episode, it's really heavy, where it's other townspeople or people from this this town where they're being interviewed by the police and giving their side of the story. And it's like, and she came in, huh? Like, I don't know. Blah, blah. And they, they kind of do that throughout the whole show, and it, it doesn't really add anything. Uh, it's pretty much a waste of time, but I mean that's a small nitpick for a pretty good show. Also, I watched the entire season of Thirteen Reasons Why on Netflix since we last talked. Have you heard of this? What's it called? Thirteen Reasons Why. Um, vaguely heard of it. Okay, it's um. I actually feel like it's become one of Netflix's most popular shows just in the last couple weeks since it was released. It's a based off a young adult novel where a high school girl commits suicide and leaves a tape for of 13 of them, 13 tapes for the 13 people responsible for her suicide or who she's blamed, you know, or, yeah. and what their part is and why she did it. And she gives it to one person who gives it to the other. They have to listen all the way through and then give it to the next person. And you start the story like towards the tail end. There's like six or seven people that have listened to the tapes, maybe a little more. And this kid played by Dylan Manette, who's really good. He's your titular character protagonist who gets the tapes and it's kind of from his perspective. And he was like, he worked with her at the movie theater. He was friends with her. He liked her. And uh, I don't want to give too much away, but it, it's uh, it was really, really good. It mm. kind of starts off cheesy and like 
if you watch the first few episodes, like my wife was like, I don't know about this show. I'm like, I hear it gets really, really good. We got to keep going. But it is cheesy in the beginning. It really, you can feel the young adult and Sundancey type tropes where it's like quirky, you know, like the style over yeah. substance quirkiness getting in the way of what actually is like a really powerful story underneath. And I could see that the whole time. So that's why I kept watching it. And thankfully I was rewarded because like the second half of this show is incredible. Some of the most powerful storytelling I've seen in quite a while. But you just got to get through stuff like when three or three or four times in a row in an episode where something happens and boom, you realize, oh, he was daydreaming and it didn't happen. Like they use that device like over and over again in this one episode for some reason. So there's some stupid stuff like that in the first half, but the second half is crazy. And there's actually like disclaimers. you. Yeah. <laughs> there's actually disclaimers on a few episodes where it's like what you're about to see is, you know, really intense and uncomfortable. And I'm like thinking, really, this is Netflix. Like we know it's, I mean, there's already been F-bombs and all kinds of stuff. Like, do you really need to do this? Like we've seen Bloodline, Orange is the New Black. There's plenty of stuff that of course could make you uncomfortable. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I understand. <laughs> they really go to some dark places, but for good storytelling purposes and, uh, it's it's really great. It's worth the hype. Get hyped. Yeah, the last episode especially got me. Uh was tearing up at one point. I feel like it'd be oh. hard not to. That's cool. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I kept, forgot I wanted to say, like, I like that the person, the girl who committed suicide, they don't paint her out to be a martyr or be like this angel, like perfect person or even a bad, like in all the characters, the characters are so well drawn out. None of them or almost none of them are like, it's almost Game of Thronesian, right? Shades of Grey, like you can see where she's at fault in certain places and you can see her, of course you could always see her point of view and her perspective. But even like some of the bad guys, quote unquote, you can see why they do things they do and where they might not be as bad as you thought at first glance. So The world is gray. Yeah, what, it's just really well-developed characters and story. So check it out. <laughs> and a couple shows just premiered recently. Uh, Fargo actually premieres tonight as we're recording, so I can't wait to watch that season three premiere, but I'll talk about that in a later episode. But what did premiere was The Leftovers, premiered on Sunday, season three. I've talked about how season two of The Leftovers is one of, if not my favorite seasons of television in history. And major hypage for season three coming in. Final season, even though bad ratings, they renewed it for a final eight episode run. And the first episode is incredible. Picked up right where it left off. Well, in a way, there's a time jump, but as far as like quality-wise, it did. You've actually have you ever watched The Leftovers? No. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. It. Yeah, I mean, not for like a reason. Like I don't want to watch it. I just like yeah. I said I haven't really been feeling committed to starting anything. Oh yeah, yeah, there's so much TV. I can never blame anyone for not watching something. Yeah, it can be a little bit paralyzing sometimes. Absolutely. Just, but the thing I love about this show, it's like, all right, I'll talk about Better Call Saul in a minute, but 
that's a show where it's slow, it's a slow burn. It's incredibly well made. Like intellectually, I know why it's good. I know why I like it. And I, there are things about the leftovers that I know why, and I can intellectually state it. But it's more like a religious experience, honestly, where I just take it all in. I can just feel how good it is <laughs> as I'm watching it. It's not one of these things where it's like, oh my god, like I need to listen to Posher recaps let them dive into the themes and everything to kind of help myself process what's going on intellectually. But as a uh, viewing experience, it's as good as it gets. I feel like it's going to go down in the Pantheon as best shows ever made for me. In a, It might crack into that lost Breaking Bad territory. Huh. Uh, but yeah, season three starts off much like season two started off with something completely unrelated from the past. That kind of ties in thematically. And then, as great a season was, like the main story was the, uh, I can't remember what they're called at the moment, but they were Guilty Remnant, is these people that dress in all white, they don't talk, and they're, oh, I should say the premise of the show is that 2% of the population disappeared, and it's kind of just showing the aftermath of what would happen if a crazy event like that occurred. And there's this Guilty Remnant who chain smoke dressed in all white, refuse to talk, that are just like a cult in a way. And season two was about how the march to the, of the Guilty Remnant to take over this town in Jordan, Texas called Miracle, where no one disappeared in this town. And they, oh. they show up and they kind of take it over and crazy stuff happens. And you think, at least I thought like, okay, season three is going to have to be like dealing with them being there. But spoiler alert, uh, one, two, three, give a little time. Um, the very first scene after like the opening uh, thing that wasn't related at all is uh, a drone strike blows up the building that all the guilty remnant are at and they're all dead. <laughs> and then it says three years later and like everyone seems happy and like it's changed completely. Like it's like, yeah, remember how invested you were with season two? Fuck you. That doesn't count. Starting over. And yet still, as frustrating as that could be for a show to do, and still, this episode was incredible, and I just can't wait yet, and at the same time, don't want the last seven episodes to air, because then it'll be over. Damn. Yeah. I'm going to have to get on this. Yeah. I mean, the good thing is it's only going to be 28 episodes total for the whole series, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out at some point, uh... Yeah, just incredible. But yeah, Better Call Saul as well. Pretty good. Season 3 started. It's two two episodes in. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Did you ever catch up on Season 2? I can't remember if I finished Season 2 or not. I don't think I did. Yeah. I, I got far, but I don't think I finished it. Still enjoying it? Oh, I, I love the show, yeah. actually. Because I remember I was real hard on it, and then... I think I watched it when I had pneumonia. <laughs> That'll do it. Just like didn't have anything else to do, so I just kept watching that. It was the most miserable time of my life. But <laughs> yeah, that's still a good watch. It is. It's a really, really good show. You know, it's unfortunate that it's airing the same time as The Leftovers because I'd really like to appreciate it for what it is. But The Leftovers is like really dominating and same with Fargo like I wish these three amazing shows weren't airing all at the same time like spread spread the goods but 
it's crazy and Vince Gilligan is a genius because this show is playing out like in arc wise and as far as the seasons go at least to me so far exactly the way Breaking Bad did like <laughs> season one was like yeah this is pretty good quirky show like it's well made season two yeah it's, it's getting better it's still the same thing but seems to be like it's really getting its groove now. Like, it's finding its footing. Yeah. And already, just two episodes into season three, I'm like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Just just like Breaking Bad. It wasn't until season three where I was, like, completely hooked. Yeah, this like, incredible. Yeah. It feels like it's really ramping up. And um, Gus is back. Gus Fring has made an appearance. And, yeah, it just seems there's a lot going on. Uh, it's like... The Mike and Saul or Jimmy storylines are seem like they're going to start to intersect a little bit more. You're getting more Breaking Bad, like almost pandering, fan service type things, but are still awesome to see. And uh, hope I didn't spoil anything about Gus, but I mean he's all over the advertisements yeah, for the season. I was going to say I'm pretty vague on it, and I've seen it. Yeah, so. yeah, but it's an awesome moment when it happens. It's and it just seems like it's going to keep ramping up and. If he can manage to make this like a six or seven season show that's as good, ends up being as good as Breaking Bad, that'd be crazy. I don't see it happening, but so far it's kind of taking that same path. And uh, one thing I love about the show is the Gene scene at the beginning of every season that's in black and white. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It's like oh, yeah, yeah, him yeah. as a Cinnabon uh, manager <laughs> in Cincinnati, I think. And. Uh, like, I would like to see more of that. I love that stuff. It's only been, like, five minutes at the beginning of every season. But I would, like, hopefully the show, like, for a few more seasons, it's before Breaking Bad. Then maybe there's a season where it's kind of, like, the in-between stuff that you didn't see during Breaking yeah, Bad. At least they start dropping some episodes in. Yeah. And then they can go past it. It's like a show where you can have prequel, concurrent timeline, and sequel, all like, all in the same show. So the possibilities yeah, are pretty cool. So, yeah, enjoying that as well. Yeah, that's all I'm watching. That's it. That's it. That's it. All right, we got, like we said at the intro of the show, we have plenty of trailers to be talking about. First up, It. Stephen King's It, the new version. I don't think we talked about the trailer yet, have we? What was that? It. Oh, yeah. Um, no, we talked about it amongst ourselves, but... Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Stephen King's at the original, like, miniseries, TV miniseries, uh, scared the shit out of me as a kid. Actually, one of the yeah. scariest things I've ever seen at the time. Definitely. <laughs> and, uh, the fact that they were, they're making a movie version of it was intriguing, and I was interested when it was announced Kerry Fukunaga, who directed... Beast of No Nation and Jane Eyre and some other good stuff that I've loved. Um, I was very interested when they announced that he was directing, but then he's not directing it anymore. And the guy that made Mama is directing it instead. But uh, what did you think of this first trailer? I mean, it lit the world abuzz. It was like one of the most watched trailers of all time. People raving and raving about it. What did you think? It looks freaky. Like, I think they definitely upped the 
the actual scary factor or so then it was just was freaky before also with product of its time but I'm talking about the original one mm-hmm. I mean it was just more freaky seeing a clown being like evil like that I guess yeah but uh I don't know I think this looks awesome personally it's a horror uh, movie I though. hope it ends up being good <laughs> but the the trailer looked awesome I thought yeah, people are loving it. Uh, it's some very similar imagery to the uh, TV movie, but some tweaks. And yeah, it looks good. I feel like this is maybe the most overrated trailer of all time just because of like the record numbers. And I haven't heard anyone say anything other than it looks like the greatest movie of all time, it seems like. I yeah, just, well, I mean, I think it's just more horror has been so... Good lately. Not that, I mean, we have seen some pretty decent ones, but I mean, in the bigger picture, horror has been kind of flat for the most part mm-hmm. compared and, to like in its heyday in like the eighties, early nineties or something like that. Yeah. And don't get me Although wrong. They don't, most of them don't hold up so well, but don't get me wrong. I do think it looks good and I'm much more optimistic about the movie than I was before watching the trailer. I just couldn't believe all the over the top. Oh movie. yeah. Uh, I, I kind of agree with you. But, I mean, anytime something's the biggest, you know, and most raved about, it's probably going to be a little overrated. But, we'll see yeah, I mean, I, I think it looks freaky. Pennywise looks scary as fucking can be, so. Yeah, true. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. We will find out. It's a movie I'm definitely looking forward to. I'll give it a yeah. 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, I'll give it an 8. Nice, 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 nice. All right, well, let's talk about maybe the biggest trailer of the year so far. Not numbers-wise, but Star Wars, The Last Jedi, finally yeah. gets its first trailer. I mean, the movie's only seven months away, seven or eight months away, and it's his first little teaser trailer. You don't get to see much. Very vague stuff going on, some vague imagery, just like quick-paced uh, shots left and right, and then a thing where Ray is being trained by Luke on a far out, uh, like a wide angle. What do you think? First trailer of Star Wars 8. Uh, it's got me pumped. I don't <laughs> care if it's vague or not. It's, yeah, yeah. It plays that Star Wars scene. It's pretty much all you need in a trailer. Yep. <laughs> uh, I've heard of people complaining about Star Wars burnout at this point, and I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm yeah, still... No. I mean, I, I definitely... I think I can look at the the trilogy, the actual, you know, the main event separately from everything else. Yeah. And I understand where people are coming from, but to me, Star Wars, at least for now, just like Marvel, I haven't been burned out for Marvel, so of course I'm not going to be burned out by Star Wars after two or three movies. Uh, yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know, I think it's awesome to have something... This mega thing that you know is going to be there every yeah. year in the same spot or whatever. But it was vague. There wasn't a whole lot to go off of, but I yeah, love... There's that line at the end. Jedi have, had, have to end or whatever. Oh, yeah. That's got people talking. But, but uh, Although the directors kind of cleared that up. Yeah, Ryan Johnson. I'm a big fan of Ryan Johnson. Um, Looper, Brick, The Brothers Bloom. The guy is batting a thousand as far as I'm concerned. 
And I think he has a chance to be one of the biggest, best, uh, like, up-and-coming directors around. I love some of the imagery that I saw. Like, that white background with the the air... Not airplanes. The the, the starships yeah. with the red smoke coming out. Like, that looked awesome. Uh, the shot with Luke and Ray uh, training from far out looked pretty damn cool. Like, visually. Uh, yeah, that was plenty to like. I can't wait to see like a first real trailer where you know you get more than just glimpses but yeah one thing you gotta say about star wars now is you know you're getting a quality product yeah like yeah for the most every movie has been basically the best special effects i've ever seen (laughs) yeah which is like true to form for the original Mm -hmm. so hey even battlefront 2 had a trailer recently yeah it looks pretty awesome I, i think they may make up for the first one. Yeah, the first one's like, gorgeous and sort of a good idea, but a horrible execution. Yeah, seems like they're going to have a story that might be worth playing actually this time. Yeah, and they're not going to do that freaking season pass thing yeah. anymore. I mean, I didn't play I it, that but that seems trend. like a God. bad idea. Uh, but yeah. yeah, they're really making up for the last one. So very, very Disney. Of Star Wars, it's very similar to Avengers movies. I feel like uh, where you kind of know, at the very least, you're not going to get a Suicide Squad <laughs> when you're here. Yeah. But I'll give it a nine out of ten. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, same. Another movie that I'm incredibly excited for, despite not even liking the first two movies all that much, Thor Ragnarok got its first trailer with director Taika Waititi from. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People and In the Shadows, uh, the that comedy we reviewed. That is quite the jump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, you get to look at Kate uh, Blanchett as the villain, the villainess. And then you get to see Thor in a, like, uh, arena, like a <laughs> gladiator arena. And the Incredible Hawk shows up, and he has the funny line, Yes, I know him. He's a friend from work. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, pretty good stuff. Like, I'm glad to see that the humor is there for a Taika Waititi joint. Uh, yeah, I think this looks like the Guardians of the Galaxy to up Thor, and I'm all I about it. I was going to the same thing. It looks, it looks fun. Yeah, it looks like a ton of fun. Like, so. you saw a glimpse of Loki. I even think Kate Blanchett looks awesome as the villain. Could be, like, one of the best Marvel villains if, uh... She's very, um... Kind of like the Snow White lady looking. Yeah, in a way, for sure. And Tessa Thompson is in there as, like, another warrior. So, excited for that. Uh, she's from Westworld and Creed. Uh, yeah, I think this looks great. <laughs> this is, uh... I know a Marvel fanboy... But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, it says a lot. You, you're not big on Thor, so yeah. I mean, I like Chris Hemsworth as Thor. I like Tom Hiddleston as Loki. I like some of the aesthetic of the Thor franchise, but for whatever reason, it hasn't worked for me completely. I don't know if it's just just uh, like I'm not a Thor guy, or if it's just hasn't been as well done as some of the other movies, but. Yeah, I think they were maybe just trying to find their footing on how to deal with a character like that. And 
I think after Doctor Strange and Guardians. Yeah, I they think probably they probably found a good balance yeah. of what they should do. Definitely taking a lot from Guardians for this, and I think what the bigger one of the bigger problems for the first two Thor movies is this is a guy when it makes sense that he's on Earth when he's with the Avengers because he's part of that team, but there's like so much creative stuff that you could do with him in Asgard or wherever uh, yeah. his home world with these big creatures and i feel like those are the best parts of the thor movies when he's in asgard or not on earth it's when he's on earth where i don't know something gets lost with that shuffle yeah but i'm gonna give it eight and a half out of ten for thor ragnarok yeah i'll give it eight all right um next up we have planet of war for the planet of the apes the second trailer for this movie coming out this summer um it's kind of similar to the first trailer, except in the second half it seems to give away a little bit more plot, which looks great to me. Yeah, uh, the only thing about this is, like, the trailer convinced me that I want to watch the movie, but I'm a bit afraid that they gave away... The end. <laughs> ...basically everything, yeah. for the most part. Yeah, I know the moment... It seems like they hit all the major plot points, with, and then the rest of the movie is all the filler. Yeah, I didn't really need any more than what the first trailer gave me. I'm kind of this is one where I'm like, eh, maybe I sh- we should <laughs> should have watched that one. Yeah, I mean, it looks good. I mean, it looks great. Don't get me wrong. I was a big fan of the first two movies. I think it could go down as a a great trilogy. So yeah, I'll give it a, I mean, it still looks good, but that yeah. worries me a little bit. Yeah, I'll give it an eight out of ten. And I'll give it a seven. Okay. All right, uh, we got Detroit. Next up, the next movie from Catherine Bigelow, who directed Zero Dark Thirty and uh, Jeremy Renner, Hurt Locker, The Hurt Locker. Oh, yeah. Um, and this is, it's been a while for her. Zero Dark Thirty was like 2012, yeah. I believe. And um, yeah, this is the story of the 1960s, right? With the Detroit riots. Yeah. And it just seems like a really grounded. Catherine Bigelow style take on that, uh, teaming up with the same screenwriter from Zero Dark Thirty and Hurt Locker as well, Mark Bowl, I believe his name is, and uh, yeah, I think it looks great. I don't. Know yeah, I was going to say I don't have much to say about it, but it looks great. I'd like to see more about it. Looks and like it's as really of now, well I want to see the movie. Yeah, I mean, great trailer to just like make people aware of it or make me aware that it's here. It is. It's coming and. It's just called Detroit, which is kind of cool. Uh, it looks like like that skinny guy who's playing the bad cop. Like at first look, I'm like, he's supposed to be this bad, you know, cop. But then you see some of his actions, like, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm always excited for a Catherine Bigelow movie, and this looks like it's going to be incredibly well done, just like all her recent movies have been. I'll say yeah. eight and a half. Let's say eight. I feel like it could be on top ten list by the end of the year. We'll see. I could see it going that way, yeah. All right, two more. All Eyes on Me, the Tupac Shakur movie. Coming off of um, Straight Outta Compton. I feel like that – this movie was probably in production before that movie came out, but they had to feel more confident after oh, for the sure. money. I'm surprised there hasn't been praise. more movies about Tupac, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, I mean, we like Straight Outta Compton, and I think 
um, it's a cool like subject to focus a movie on. The rap mm-hmm. world had a lot of drama in the late eighties, nineties, even now. So there's plenty of of like uh, drama, dramatic stories to go around. What Plus, uh, like I guess if anyone likes rap, Tupac's probably the the second best. Like Biggie's probably the better rapper, but I think Tupac was definitely the more interesting person, more poetic and yeah, yeah, you know, kind of polarizing figure. Mm-hmm. What because you- he comes up in an era that gangster rap becomes popular, but gangster rap at this point is like realism rather than this trope that people right bravado. Yeah, but I, I think it's cool that. Uh, it seems like it's going to show him growing up, and no one really ever mentions this, but he pretty much grew up in Baltimore. He went to school here. Holla. Uh, he went to school with that one. I think I mentioned this before. It's uh, worth mentioning. He's in, I forget what his name is. He's in The Good Wife. Oh, Josh. Um... Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, you know about. what I'm talking about. He's at, like, Ravens games and stuff like yeah. that. But, uh, yeah, he went to school. And, and I don't know. Uh, at the very least, he's an interesting person to make a movie about. So, What did you think of the trailer? The guy certainly looked the part. Do you think uh, he'll do a good job? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sold on him yet. but uh, Me either. He does look pretty close. I, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm wondering if he gets his like mannerisms and voice right and all that stuff in the big picture. But I'm hopefully optimistic about this movie. Have we checked to see if this is Tupac's son playing Tupac, just like Ice Cube's son played Ice Cube? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like he, like he's, I said, he looked the part. I don't know about his acting performance. I don't think we have enough to go off of, but. Uh, at the very it's least, just, he was such an outgoing person that I think it'd be hard for many people to even. Yeah, he had that charisma. He's one of those person people that just had something yeah, about them, you know. For sure, pretty uh, good actor too, by the way. Oh really? I haven't Tupac. seen him. Oh. Yeah, that's cool. But uh, the one good thing about these types of movies: built-in great soundtracks right off yep. the bat. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you can't go wrong with it, right? Yeah, exactly. So. At the very least, we'll get that. I'll say six and a half out of ten. I'll give it a seven. I'll be a little more optimistic. All right, all right. I feel you. All eyes on you after that. <laughs> uh, last trailer, American Assassin. Uh, this is one that I just watched yesterday, I think, and I was like, or maybe it was today. I can't remember, but I was like, yo, check out this trailer. Pretty awesome adrenaline-filled trailer about... um. Dylan O'Brien plays a young kid who recently married. I think he's already part of the army or something, right? At that point, yeah, he's already like got skills and yeah. And it seems like a Punisher type situation where his wife gets mowed down and like the people most important to him are killed in like a terrorist attack or something like that. And he goes, he's like a man on a mission trying to get the best skills possible to get his revenge at some point. And, and they eventually team, the CIA, I guess, teams him up with Michael Keaton, who's like 
retired badass of badasses and uh, has a special little team that he's putting together and Dylan O'Brien becomes part of it. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't know if it was just I was in the right mood, but this trailer blew me away. I, I loved it. I don't think I was high on it as you, but it looks pretty awesome. It's it's true action, like in a good way. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, I mean, it seems like the story is solid enough to really hold everything together as well. Yeah, I mean, the little that you get. I mean, that's just sort of a vibe. But and again, like this is a type of movie where this could just be like an awesome trailer for a mediocre movie. I could see that happening, but. I don't know. Like, this just wasn't on my radar whatsoever. Like, had not heard of it at all. But then after watching it, I'm like, okay, if I was making, like, a top ten most anticipated movies, this might find its way on there yeah. after this. Because, I don't know, just you don't see many great just straight-up action movies anymore. Yeah, definitely not. You know, so. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'll say eight out of ten. Be optimistic. Uh- Say seven. I'll give it a seven. Nice. That movie sucked. (laughs) You gave it a seven. I forgot to mention uh, The Amazing Race and what else we watched. Have you been been watching the season since you actually know someone on the season and I know of someone we went to high school with? No. You haven't been watching? Not at all. Uh, I mean, I see she posts stuff on Facebook all the time. I watch some of that. I got you. Yeah, Sarah Fowler... Is on the Amazing Race, fresh out of Parkville High School. Yeah, she moved on to bigger and better things, Virgin Islands, whatever. But Parkville High School. Yeah, pretty <laughs> and, uh, good friend of mine from high school. Actually, she was like my uh, ex girlfriend's best friend. Was in a lot of my classes. So yeah, seems like cool. a cool person. I didn't know her, but I definitely knew of her. She was dating uh, this guy that was uh, on the baseball team with. And, uh, yeah, so she's on The Amazing Race. It's not a season where you come in with a duo like usual. It's like they had a con- – it's all singles. And then they had a contest in the first episode where the person who came in first got to pick their partner. Then the person who came in second, yada, yada. And I think actually her partner, Shamir, was third place in this contest and picked her because he said he's just going to pick the hottest chick. Out yeah, there. Oh, oh, doesn't surprise me. <laughs> But uh, that guy's kind of a tool bag. Uh, he's dragging their team down. She's actually, like, coming off pretty good. In the first episode, she got, like, no screen time whatsoever. But in the second and third episodes, they they came in second to last both times, which is, like, the last person gets eliminated each time. So they're barely surviving, mainly because of him. Like, one time, uh, he's in the harness, and he's just c- complaining that his, his balls are getting crushed and... Like stupid stuff like this. It's just like, oh my god. But um, I don't know. She seems really strong, and if they can get their act together, maybe they can make a run at it. But uh, yeah, I haven't watched The Amazing Race in a long time. But since new uh, a familiar face was on the show, I decided to watch this season. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if I had like open access to TV, I would try a little harder. But yeah, I mean, The Amazing Race. The reason I stopped watching it is just because it's. What I watch reality competition shows for is more of the social game and the strategy, whereas Amazing Race is just competition, 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 and it's just who can do the best at these competitions. And that's not as interesting to me, and I feel like every season kind of plays out very similarly, whereas in Survivor Big Brother, social and strategic dynamic could change 
things drastically yeah. from season to season, and it can evolve. And whereas the Amazing Race can't really evolve that much. Yeah, but it's got kind of a one trick pony in that sense. Yeah, I mean it's a solid show, great production. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, it's, but it, yeah, people love it. And I I understand, but not necessarily my my bag. But all right, that'll do it for this episode. I'm really looking forward to next week's episode. We have at least one guest coming on, Edgar Shaput, to review La La Land, go over our top five musical scenes, and, uh, oh yeah, 2017 Summer Box Office Draft. Yeah. Really, <laughs> really excited for that. Already got my draft prep out of the way. Um, I think I'm going to own it this year. Get out the way. Champ is here. But... Uh, might have another familiar face come along and join us as well. Don't have confirmation on that, but hopefully it comes through. And uh, anyway, you can always email us, the Redbox Report at yahoo.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Redbox Report. I'm on Twitter at the Oriole Report. I'm on Twitter at Redbox Reporter. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. I'm on Letterboxd the movie logging website at the Oriole Report as well. And uh, until next week. Until next week. Yeah.